So uh, I want to thank you for your prayers. We, we, were on a, we went down to California uh, last week, flew back here Saturday night, was here Sunday morning, flew back to Philadelphia for another conference, and I'm still alive. <laughs> the plane didn't go down, so thank you for that. <laughs> it was great. Just a great time with our staff and then back at a senior pastor's conference. This is what was cool. There were over 1,500 men together in this huge room, one guy on a guitar, and the worship was incredible. You just, the, the voices and the expectation, it was just, it was fantastic, that. And then obviously, any Calvary Chapel pastor's conference or conference is just getting, having Bible studies again. We never get tired of Bible studies. So, uh, and also, I want to continue to remind you of the prayer requests that we're taking in the prayer bowl, and then the trumpet bowl is for the answers. And if you will put your prayer requests in there today, we will pray for them at least once a month, but we'll pray for them immediately. And then as, they're, as we're going through the year, we're praying through every one of these prayer requests that we've gotten so far, which are, which are a lot. Okay. Finally, today is communion. So we're, it's our Memorial Day in that sense. We're remembering the cross. But I, uh, Garrett shared it. I, I want to also continue. I think there are encouraging signs for our country, but we're a mess in many ways. So what we need to be doing is praying and praying and praying. So we have our prayer Saturday morning. We have the seniors' prayer on Thursday. We have us praying for souls next Monday, not this Monday, but next Monday. We're just asking the Lord to move among us. And God said, oh, my house should be called a house of prayer. So our believing prayer for our country, I got, I, that's, I got to fall on that, and we need to fall on that and pray. Amen? So think about coming to our prayer meetings because we always, uh, part of what we pray for is our, is our nation. So here we are. Would you uh, stand? We're in, we're in Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at the gospel and living a busy life. How many can relate to that? <laughs> so here we have them so busy, they didn't, they didn't even have time to eat. So in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, I'm going to just read part of it. We're going to look through verse 46. We're going to read part of it. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to, to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from the, all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came, came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. I'm going to read the whole thing, so can't stop. <laughs> so they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples and set before them, to, to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fish. 
Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he still, where he, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word. Thankful, Lord, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, Lord, we're all ears. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. I pray, Lord, you would help me to communicate your heart this morning as you put things on my mind and heart. Holy Spirit, we know that we need you. We acknowledge you, your presence. We acknowledge that, Lord, you and that, Holy Spirit, you teach us all things. You guide us in all things. You convict, rebuke, exhort. Encourage us, all these things. I pray that, Lord, you would move by, through your word now. Teach us. And, and that we might have ears to hear, to do the things that are in your mind, your heart for us this morning, individually and then as a church. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So last week we talked about the gospel and living an everyday life. So this morning, the gospel and living a busy life. They did not even have time to eat. How many of you are busy? A lot of you are not raising your hand. <laughs> Too busy to raise your hand, right? <laughs> so they're busy. The majority of us are busy. An accountant asked one of his fellow accountants, where's my pencil? She replied, it's behind your ear. He replied, come on, come on, which ear? I'm a busy man. No matter how busy a man is, he's never too busy to stop and talk about how busy he is. Busyness means the state or condition of having a great deal to do. It might, of, of not being idle. I don't believe busyness in and of itself is sin at all. In this account of Jesus with his disciples, it's what it is. It's what's happening. It's a season that they're going through. It does not say they were overloaded does not say they were overwhelmed or burned out. They just didn't have time to eat. See, they were busy with Jesus. About which I want to share three things that in, to encourage you from our text. But first, I want to share a few thoughts concerning busyness. I've given myself to reading a bunch of articles just in knowing this is, would be the topic. It is common for us to hear... And ourselves say how busy we are. It is often a default response when asked, how goes it? It seems our culture equates busyness with being a good thing, a worthy thing, in fact, successful. The opposite, in many ways, of laziness. How much of our busyness is driven by ambitions they're absent of any value in the things that really matter. It's a searching question. How much of our busyness is driven by ambitions that are absent of any value in the things that really matter? As someone said, I've never heard anyone on his or her deathbed say, I wish I spent more time at the office. A USA Today published a multi-year poll in 2008. Here we are, how many years down the road? But in 1987, 
50% say, said they ate at least one meal, one family meal every day. Now, by 2008, that had declined to 20%. I wonder what it would be today. With the advent and advance of technology came these things. Addictions to digital virtual world. Came with this technology the myth of multitasking, which is a myth. That's the name of a book by Dave Crenshaw. Three, it's the imperative with this whole subject and these, this technology. It's the imperative that we must be the tech-wise families because of what it's doing. That's another book title. How much busyness is due to a lack of discerning between wants and needs, between image and character, between reality and fantasy, between denial and honesty. How much business is due to these things, just lack of discernment, and thus a lack of making wise decisions? Busyness with no margin for leisure can manifest itself in having difficulty focusing, concentrating, impatience, irritability, not being able to sleep or unwilling to make time for a needed break and some, some kind of exercise. Now, may I say to you, I'm speaking to myself with a megaphone. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God does not want us burning out. He wants to so infuse our lives that though we're busy, we're busy in things that matter and things that bear fruit and things that will last for eternity. So the Sabbath, Jesus, God gave that, built into not this law, but in, in the law, but in creation, God's design is to have time set aside to realize and know that God is the one who we need above all other things. There's an article written by Connor Neal, the question, what to do about busyness? And I want to just put these up on the screen for you just to think about them, and then we're going on in our study. There are 11 that he, he writes. Number one, stop telling yourself and others how busy you are. You're telling yourself it's a reality you can't change, which is not true. Ooh. <laughs> Cut your to-do list by 50% and distinguish between what is important versus urgent, which is usually someone else's urgent. Three, develop a system or set of routines to deal with distractions. Four, stop multitasking. Productive people focus on one thing at a time. I encourage that book, The Myth of Multitasking. Learn how to say no frequently and affirmatively. Six, take regular frequent breaks during the day, every day. Seven, revisit your priorities and focus your efforts on them. Eight, simplify your life, including owning fewer possessions. Nine, regularly seek out solitude by yourself Preferably in nature, I would say preferably with God, and we'll look at that this morning. Focus on developing good habits into which you place your goals. Now, how many of no, you don't have, but many of you have read these leadership books. They're very helpful to really, and a lot of times they're just focusing in 
on the things that are going to be productive, be fruitful, be helpful. Seriously, number 11, seriously cut back on your commitment to activities and don't add new activities without dropping a current one. If you want that list, email me, I'll send it to you. Now, unlike the classical biblical narrative on busyness, which is Martha who is distracted with much serving, while Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And Jesus answered and said to Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. The distractions, the busyness, the expectations that steal the very heart of God in our hearts. So unlike Mary, or excuse me, unlike Martha, these disciples were busy with Jesus. That's a key. Jesus is at the helm. Jesus is the one in this whole, all these matters where they didn't even have time to eat. This miracle of feeding the 5,000, by the way, it is a miracle. There are a lot of people that say, no, he had a bunch of stuff hidden in the caves. <laughs> Bread, some fish, that's how it will happen. Uh, I got a word for that, baloney. <laughs> it's, a mir- it's, it's in all four Gospels. So what I'll do is, in Matthew, Luke, John, and Mark, so I'll take a few of those little snippets that help us just in detail to enhance the narrative. So number one, be busy talking with Jesus about what's on your heart. Busyness. Be busy talking with Jesus about what's on your heart. Then the the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, verse 30, both with what they had done and what they had taught. When was that? Look back in in Mark 6, verse 7. And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is exciting stuff. And now they're gathering to sort of update Jesus on what happened. I think it's a very simple yet profound scene of the disciples with Jesus. They come back to tell Jesus about all they had been doing, all they'd been teaching. They're excited, and I believe that Jesus is rejoicing with those who rejoice. No question. I believe he was listening attentively and smiling widely as he's listening. And let me tell you, you will never find a better listener than Jesus. You'll never find a better listener than God. He loves them. And God bids us to upload and to unload in talking about everything that's going on in our lives. You might say pray without ceasing. That God's a part of what goes on in my thinking, in my dialogue. It's with him. First and foremost, but no matter what's going on, we can talk to God. We can come to him. It's keeping him in all our thinking, in all our feelings, in all our wins, in all our losses. In every high and stormy gale and over on every quiet and tranquil sea, God wants us to talk to him to tell him, to unload and upload to him. In Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. 
his people. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He is listening. He's our refuge. He wants us to come and be still. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Peter picks up on this. Likewise, you younger people... Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive. to So this relationship, these relationships with one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So in our interaction with each other, but then he says this, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. In all of our relationships, there are issues. <laughs> there are things. And God's saying, you humble yourselves with one another and then come and talk to me about it. Come and cast your cares upon me. Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Talk to God. We are to do this not only individually with God, but then as we're together and talking, God is listening. Love this Malachi passage. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate. When we're together in a, in a gathering, and we're talking about things, and God, God's listening. That's what a kind of listener he is. He's listening in on those gatherings. So the question is, what do we talk about? How are we talking about others? How are we talking? Are we uploading to God and unloading to God in our fellowship as believers? Now, notice, told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. You see, we do according to what we believe. They're, and so they're taking these things and running them all by Jesus, sort of doctrinally. Do I have it right? Is this correct? Does this need adjustment? It's in living life that the word of God becomes something that we understand we need to make adjustments. We might want to believe something, but that's not what the word of God says. That needs correcting so that it affects now our lives and how we live in pleasing God which directly relates to how we live in loving each other and directly relates to how we live in loving God. There was a guy named Apollos who in Acts chapter 18 we read, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, notice, and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. We all need our doctrinal things accurate, more accurate. God is adjusting how? Through our talking to him our fellowship with one another. Verse 31 of Mark. And he said, come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, so they did not even have time to, to rest, to eat rather. They're busy with Jesus. Keep that in mind. Jesus notes their labors. God takes note of your labor. Hebrews, God is 
not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence in full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God sees our labors. He will reward those labors. He's not missing any of them. Know that. So they departed, verse 32, to deserted place in the boat by themselves. As it turns out, the only rest they got was in the boat by themselves with Jesus. Blessed, Pastor Chuck Smith, he said, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. I love it. Because we need to remain flexible as being busy with Jesus. It might get redirected. They're thinking they got a prolonged rest when really all they got was a power nap in the boat. So number one, be busy talking with Jesus about what's on your heart. Secondly, be busy looking to Jesus to shepherd your heart. He does that in the midst of living life. He is the shepherd. He's the great shepherd, the good shepherd. And so it says, but the multitude saw them departing. Many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. Verse 34, and Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Jesus was not moved with annoyance. His compassion is timeless. Whether it's one lost soul, one convicted sinner, one wandering sheep, Jesus always sees them with the heart of a shepherd. He is the shepherd. He sees you with the shepherd's heart. He sees me with the shepherd's heart. Read John chapter 10 when you go home. Jesus is the door of the sheep that they may have life. He came out have life more abundantly, the shepherd. He is the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. That's you and me. He laid down his life for you and me. No one took it. He laid it down of himself. He sacrificed his life on the cross as the good, great, chief shepherd of my heart and your heart. Would you join in reading Psalm 23 with me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And everyone said, amen. He is our good shepherd. He is my shepherd. He is your shepherd through Jesus, through the cross, and receiving him as your shepherd. The door of the sheep. Wow. He shepherds our hearts. No one else can do that. 
He is the shepherd of our hearts. And so it says, note where Jesus begins. So he began to teach them many things. You think, wait a second. Teach them? Feed them. Give them some, something to lay down on. You see, what's going on here, and we'll look at it in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He was shepherding them spiritually by feeding their hunger for God, the word of God. He was shepherding their hearts to know and love God. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we read, you shall remember that the Lord, this is the, the second law, repeating what God had already laid out in Deuteronomy, saying it twice, basically. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandment or not. Verse 3, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with a manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Notice that you, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Life is much more than physical existence. It's to know God. The hunger we have there is God-given this relationship with him that nothing else can satisfy. He began to teach them, to shepherd them spiritually in feeding them, feeding their hunger for God, shepherding their hearts that they might know and love God through the word of God. It says, allowed you to hunger and fed you. So God was not starving them until they cried uncle but that he might make them know that he himself is their heart's hunger. Have you found that to be so true? All the other things cannot meet that need, that hunger for God. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul thirsts for you, O Lord, in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. It's, it's there God designed, built in his image, this hunger to know him and to walk with him. And people who don't know him walk with, are empty. They're walking around shells of what God would have for them. They look in this, that, and the other place, and we all have done the same thing. For meaning and satisfaction and contentment, you cannot find it apart from knowing and loving God. And thus he shepherds our hearts. That he himself is their heart's hunger, their greatest need. And that he is, his faithful covenant love would meet all their needs spiritually with his presence and promises. Physically with his provision and protection. And personally with his goodness and blessing. Deuteronomy chapter 8. He's shepherding their hearts by humbling them and testing them. Who likes to be humbled? Who likes to be tested? <laughs> God loves us too much to keep us in the condition we were in when we met him. And so this is humbling and testing. That's the shepherding of our hearts. Shepherding their hearts by chasing him. Who likes chastening? And yet we find in the Bible how important that is. And as parents, we understand how important that is. We better redirect those little rebellious, sinful hearts or they're going to be going this way sideways. 
the discipline. And so it says in Deuteronomy 8, your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell for these 40 years, that you should know in your heart, shepherding the heart, that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord will, God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his way. It comes back to that obedience in knowing God, loving God. Hebrews says, you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chase of the Lord, nor be, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the Lord does not chasten? And we had human fathers who corrected us as best as they knew, but he corrects us for his, for his, to be a partakers of his holiness. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by God shepherds our hearts by chastening us. He shepherds the hearts by, here's, this is central. Shepherding their hearts by giving to them out of his riches and goodness. The exhaustive goodness of God. In Deuteronomy 8, again, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land in which you will eat bread and without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. He giveth and giveth. In fact, that's, that song, many of you know it. I lo- I'm, I'm going to put the verses up here. If you want to sing it, you can. I'm just going to say them. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies his multiplied peace. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God even yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father both thee and thy load shall upbear. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. And here's the chorus. His love has no limit. His love has no limit. His grace no measure. His goodness, pouring out of his goodness and grace. How his power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That's the goodness of God. That's the shepherding of our hearts. As he gives to them out of his riches and his goodness. Now, he also shepherds our hearts and them by warning us. And so in Deuteronomy, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. When your heart is lifted up, shepherding the heart. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out, who led you through, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, that he might humble you and he might test you to do you good in the land, in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power And the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, 
Let it be established. He's shepherding our hearts and understand. He is the source of all things. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be. If you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify to you this day that you shall surely perish. There is no life in a life of rebellion against God. So back to Mark. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and they said to him, Are you kidding me? No. They said, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five, and here's the bonus, two fish. Now, in Matthew chapter 14, we read, Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Bring them. In John, we read, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that they may eat? So he sees him, and he's got Philip that might be standing next to him. Uh, Philip, what do you think? But this he said to test him, shepherding the heart, for he himself knew what he would do. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Now you could listen to that question two ways. What are they among so many? Or what are they among so many? In other words, there's no way. Or, hey, what are you going to do here, Lord? What's, what's going to happen with so few? So the disciples are dumbfounded. This is totally impractical, if not impossible. 200 denarii was about eight months of an average man's wages. So, so not necessarily impossible, impossible, particularly when you have Bobby as your chef. Just bring me the food. We'll take care of him. Jesus was testing them, knowing that he would do what he would do. A miracle of gigantic proportions. So be busy talking with Jesus. Be busy looking at Jesus to shepherd your heart. The progression goes like this. You give them something to eat. What? That's impossible. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Take inventory. He's not saying what don't you have. He's saying what do you have? And he said, bring them to me. What a great beginning progression. Here's the impossible thing that God's saying, take care of it. He says, what do you have? Not what don't you have, what do you have? It's interesting to me. Do the inventory. Bring to him what, bring here to me. Listen, it, this may, we think often in, in money and material possessions. But many times through the Bible, that's not what we're looking at. For example, Job had his integrity. He had his integrity. Bring it to me. Moses had a rod. Get your rod. Hey, Mo, get your rod. <laughs> David had a sling. The widow had a handful of flour and a little jar of oil. 
Samson, listen, Samson had a final opportunity. Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah had the word of the Lord. They had their voices in the word of the Lord. Paul and Silas in the stocks, imprisoned, beaten. You know what they had? They had a song. Wow. Bring it to me. Timothy had his youth. Paul, John the Apostle had his old age. Bring it to me. What do you have? Bring it to me. The widow had two mites. And as Jesus watching them giving how they gave, and they're piling the money, she comes up with these two mites, puts them in, and Jesus said she gave more than all of them. You see, the way God sees these things is completely opposite many times how we evaluate things. Because she, it says, out of her poverty gave all that she had to God. You give them something to eat. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Take inventory. And then bring them to me. Verse 39. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. Blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. And those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. See, the progression continues. Give them something to eat. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Bring them to me. And then it says, and when he had taken them, he looked up into heaven and blessed and broke the loaves. Only God can do that. Whatever it is that we give to him, he takes those things, blesses them, breaks them, and then what does he do? Gives them back to us to then be shepherding someone else in God's mighty power, mighty goodness. We become the shepherds in that sense for God. We turn and become God's means of blessing others with his goodness. Be busy talking with Jesus. Be busy looking to Jesus and then be busy getting along with God. Jesus himself, it says there, he made the disciples get in the boat and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray, to spend time alone with his father. And we, as we are in all of our busyness, we need to get alone. We need to be busy getting along with God. It's there that we draw to, close to his heart. We can understand the heart of God in a way that's intimate, personal, and growing. No matter how b busy a man is, he is never too busy to stop and talk about how busy he is. I say, let's be busy with Jesus. Be busy and not stop talking about it because it's such a fabulous thing. Got the worship team come out. So we're going to do communion. Uh, take communion together as a church. Communion is for the believer. The emblems that we're passing out are reminding us of Jesus' death on the cross 
and then reminding us that he's coming again. He rose again, he's coming again. So Paul says, often as we take the bread and drink the cup, we do show his death. We're looking back until he comes. It's a great memorial. And God knows our need to remember. To remember. So as you, take the, as you hold the bread and the cup, if you're not a believer, we're going to ask you to let, just let that pass you by. However, if you have not yet given your life to Christ, but you understand your need, you just haven't made that, pub, uh, that confession in your heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if, you, if that's for you right now, you can do that in the quietness of your heart, then I'm going to welcome you to join us. Otherwise, let it pass by because really, by taking the bread and taking the cup, you're acknowledging, you're agreeing that this is necessary for your salvation. And yet, so Paul said, it's, it's drinking damnation to ourselves. So please let that go by and enjoy our time here in worship. Taking you. So as you receive those emblems, hold them and then we'll, I'll come up and we'll take them together. <laughs> 